This is the Foundation Station with Bishop Clarence Harris, where we discuss apologetics without apology. The God of Adam, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and King David. According to Acts chapter 17, verse 24, God hath made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needeth anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath in all things. And hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell upon the face of the earth, and had determined the times before appointed the bounds of their habitation. And so God made from all mankind, from one common progenitor, Adam. And today, God has brought men into a new covenant relationship through Jesus Christ as the second Adam, according to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45. You see, God does not dwell in natural temples anymore. He dwells within his body. And he is a God of covenants. And being that he is a God of covenants, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 7, it says, There are three there bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in the earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. In essence, the heavenly testimony or witness of the Godhead is found in 1 John 5, 7, which ironically in most biblical translations today is excluded from the Bible. For it says the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost are one, not three separate persons. As it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, one person. You see, God has manifested himself three ways and more to all of his creation. For this is the testimony of God in heaven. And then the testimony of God in earth is found in 1 John 5, 8, which we just read. It said the blood, the water, and the spirit. And these three agree in one because they all together collectively agree in one because they consummate and establish the covenant of God's creation and God's deliverance for man on earth. For the name Yahweh is deliverance is the name testifying of Jesus Christ, of which the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 1, says it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Deliverance is his name and salvation is his game because God is a God of covenant and many today have pretty much transgressed his covenant, that means a covenant breaker, or they've gone back into the world, which is called perdition, or they're into false heresy or false teaching, which is called heretical, or perhaps even they have gone so far as to curse God and reject him and become apostate. Another word for that is reprobate. God would give them over to a reprobate mind, not allowing them even to come back to repentance, where we will find in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 18 through 33. Today's concept of covenant is that men rather want to, instead of want to walk humbly with their God, they want to shack with God by making a verbal confession, believing only that Christ died for their sins and somehow or another that miraculously makes them born again. 
but nothing of the such is found in the Bible. For today, men shacked with God, they want to have the benefits of the covenant and the promises of God, but they don't want to walk lawfully into wedlock with him in preparation for the marriage. Because right now, all Christians, we are only betrothed unto him or engaged. Engaged for the preparation for the wedding, and the wedding is the rapture of the church. Throughout history, there have been eight great divine covenants between man and God. A covenant is, in essence, a contract between two or more people. And a biblical, contractual, or divine law is what we call the new covenant. It is a divine constitution that God has given to us. And this constitution is Christ's will and his last testament. For there was the Old Testament and then there's the New Testament. So what is a testament? It's the will. And a will is not enforced until the death of the testator, as it says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 16. And it was Christ who was the testator who gave his life for our sins. And he became the propitiation for our sins. For he paid the price for us on Calvary. And so what are some of those covenants that God had brought forth? And all these covenants of deliverance dealt with the spirit, the water, and the blood. Well, this is a very progressive, repetitious revelation because it happens over and over again, eight times in scripture. And he that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the churches. The first covenant God made that spoke about deliverance and creation was the Adamic or the Adamic covenant in Eden and with Adam, the Garden of Eden. For in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, how God, he divided the waters. He divided the waters in the middle was dry land and above the earth was a firmament that covered the earth. And this firmament came down with the deluge called the flood with Noah. And so with Adam, what God did, God performed the first sacrifice. He performed the first sacrifice because he gave Adam and Eve a clothing, a cloak to cover themselves because they discovered they were naked. So God performed the first sacrifice and he moved up on Adam also in creation, breathed into him and Adam became a living soul. So the water separated the earth. The blood came forth, as you know, God performed the first sacrifice and the spirit brought life into Adam. It was the birther. This also took place with Noah. With Noah and his covenant of deliverance, the water from the firmament would come down and totally cover the earth. The blood sacrifice would be as a result of two animals were in the ark and some came in by seven, later for food and for sacrifice. And the spirit, of course, led Noah to build a boat that was one and a half football fields long and three and a half stories tall. He built this boat not to sail anywhere, but just to float, to survive the calamity of the earth because Noah found grace in the sight of God, the blood, the water, and the spirit. Noah was led by the spirit in the construction of the earth. We see and understand that even when Moses came out, when he came out of Egypt and led the Hebrew people out from Pharaoh's bondage, it was there that the Passover, yes, it was the Passover, the blood over the doorpost that the death angel would pass over. And then, however, if they stayed there in Egypt with just the blood, like many Christians today, if they don't come through the water, the problem with that, they would die in Egypt without being delivered. 
because God would deliver them also through the Red Sea. And we're told in the book of First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, Paul says this, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant, how that our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. You see, both Jews and Gentiles came out of Egypt together. Many Egyptians came out with them and Jews and Gentiles all were baptized in the sea. Paul said this was the typology that God had done to for confirm the covenant of deliverance like he always done in times past. And then it says unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all did eat the same spiritual meat and all did drink the same spiritual drink. For they all drank of that rock, that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. You see, Christ, when Moses smote that rock where the waters came out, the living water was a typology of Jesus Christ out of him in the future will come that living water that he spoke to the woman at the well in John chapter four, said out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. He said, if you drink this water, you will thirst again. Well, that rock was Christ. And Moses broke the scriptures and because of that, he was not allowed to go into the promised land. You see, all of them came out by the blood, Passover. They came out of Egypt by the water, and then the Spirit led them by day and a cloud by night. Paul go on saying, chapter 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So shall it be also in these last days. Because Paul goes on to say that now these things were examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. In other words, just as God overthrew the children of the Israel, the children of the covenant, even after he had delivered them, yet and still he tried their hearts and they were vilely wicked. God is doing the same thing today in his church, but everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And right now he is preparing a church without spot, wrinkle or blemish. The tabernacle, yes, with Moses again. In the tabernacle, in the outer court, there was a brazen altar for the blood, for sacrifice. There was the lavier where the priests had to wash before they would do the sacrifice, lest they would die. The blood and the water in the outer court. But the spirit, of course, was in the inner court, in the holy of holies, in the most holy place. That's where the spirit of God was. And just as that is with them, the outer court and the inner court, Concerning the tabernacle of Moses, the tabernacle of our bodies is the same. For we're told to put our bodies on the altar. In Romans 12, 1, it says, present your body a living sacrifice. We are that living sacrifice. In Romans chapter 6, we are buried with him in baptism. That it is the representation of our death. And it's not just a ceremonial event, but it is as we are planted in the likeness of his death. We shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And then, of course, when we see the baptism of the Holy Ghost, he comes into our most interchamber, that is, our spirit, it makes us born again. The blood, the water, and the spirit. In Acts 1 8, it says that Jesus commanded rather his apostles to go to Jerusalem to receive the promise of the Spirit, the Holy Ghost, baptism that John spoke of. In Romans 2, 28 and 29, it says that this circumcision of the heart 
or receiving of the Spirit was a new fulfillment because both males and females can now come into the covenant of God by the same Spirit. For in Titus 3, 5, it says, Not by works of righteousness has he had this been done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Also, in the Davidic tabernacle of praise of Mount Moriah, in 2 Samuel chapter 6 through 7, this tabernacle, a new tabernacle, they were upbuilding from the tabernacle of Moses, was open to all. All tribes of the earth, Jews and Gentiles, can come in because all of us are descendants of Adam. And we're divided historically into either Jews or Gentiles because of the covenant God that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and many others. So what we have is that through the tribe of Judah, through which Christ came and which David came, Jesus would come and Jesus will come as Melchizedek, as the eternal high priest of the most high God. He will come and establish a covenant and this covenant will be forever. In Hebrews 7, this covenant not only lasts forever, but also is established by the Lord himself. One sacrifice for eternity, forever, for all mankind. Whosoever will, let him come. He that hath an ear, let him hear. Because in Acts chapter 15, at the great Jerusalem council, Jesus' brother James stands up and says that God has brought, declared and brought the tabernacle of David amongst men. And he's brought also the Gentiles, people that were not of his name. He brought them in now to become of his name in this new covenant. Jews and Gentiles walking humbly together. And Jesus' brother, half-brother James, quoting Amos chapter 11, verses 14 through 18. And the prophet Hosea chapter 2, 23 also comments along the same. You see, the blood, the water, and the spirit was for all mankind, for God's covenants of deliverance. And John the Baptist spoke towards his end also. For John said in John Matthew chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, I indeed baptized with water. John, of course, preached the gospel of repentance, which was the blood. And then he also said, but there's one that come after me. He's mightier than I. He was baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And so John was the voice in the wilderness, preparing the way, making the crooked path straight for the coming of the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Christ. And he would come, also being his cousin, he would become the one heralder that will make way and announce the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In this new covenant, that will be established, that was perfected through the apostolic teachings, starting with Peter under the Pentecost. And for the next 30 years in Acts chapter 19, Paul will continue throughout the Gentile world preaching the same gospel. What was the gospel they preach? It was called the gospel of the kingdom found in Matthew 24, verse 14. That's what Jesus called it. And then Peter manifested it in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. He said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the missions of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And throughout the historical book, a book of Acts in the New Testament, every group that came into the church came into the same covenant, did the same route with the same method. The Spirit 
the water, and the blood. And the final covenant we will have will be during the millennium period and thereafter when there's a new heaven and there's a new earth. And that covenant happens after the millennium and after Satan, the Antichrist, the beast, the false prophet, and all those who wickedly done spite against the spirit of grace and all sinners of the world who had the audacity to speak ill and go against Jesus Christ will be thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone. However, when we deal with covenants, we must look at those who break covenants, those who are transgressors. A transgressor, as I stated earlier, is one who breaks covenant. And in Daniel chapter 8, it says, In the latter time of their kingdom, verse 23, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce continents and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. And that king, of course, is the Antichrist. He'll be king of the transgressors. In the Daniel chapter 8, Daniel chapter 11, in particular 1137, he says that he will have no desire for women. In fact, he'd be so blasphemous, he will also be king of the homosexuals, just like many of the Roman emperors and also Roman popes and priests. So what we have is that this king of the transgressors will come to a full. And he would be, of course, the Antichrist. One may ask the question, where in the Bible do you find the word Antichrist? Well, the only place you find it in the entire Bible is in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 and 19. It is here that the Apostle John identifies us with his Antichrist. Well, first and foremost, he comes from within the church. <laughs> yes, forget about your Eurocentric theologists and also theologians and philosophers. John says this. He says, little children, it is the last time. As ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, and even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not of us. That means those who go back into perdition. And the best example of this in scripture as a typology of an antichrist is Judas, King Saul, who also had the anointing like Judas. Judas had for three and a half years. Saul, King Saul had it. And the spirit departed from Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and Lucifer in Ezekiel chapter 28, who became Satan. Ezekiel 28, 14 through 18. For by iniquity and transgression, they all went into perdition. In Luke chapter 22, verse 3, it says that, And Satan entered into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. What is so profound about this here is that Satan will actually enter into one close to the Lord, one selected by Christ, high in the church, who knew the truth, but were rejected, like Judas, and will become the betrayer. Like Korah did to Moses and his band of Levites, who went against Moses and Aaron, so shall the Antichrist go against the true church in the last days. They will go into perdition. This is very much expounded upon in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 33, and also 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. So when we look and see 
about the spirit of Antichrist. In John chapter 17, 12, Jesus says this pursuant to Judas. He says, while I was yet with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. This is why he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Those that thou hast given me, I have kept. And none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Again, the son of perdition, right? Spoken about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, was a type of Judas, a type of Antichrist. Therefore, it says in James chapter 5, verse 19, if far as one who goes in perdition, if far as in heresy, or goes against the truth that was preached by the apostles, James, Jesus' half-brother, says, If any of you do error from the truth, and one converteth him, let him know that he which convert the sinner from the error of his way shall save his soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Oh my goodness. You see, we cannot be a covenant breaker in God's house because in Matthew chapter 15, verse 28, it says, And the scriptures was fulfilled, where it said he was numbered with the transgressors. It's Mark 15, 28, referring to Judas. He was numbered with the transgressors. In Acts chapter 1, before Judas committed suicide, and one of the reasons why he did it was because iniquity was found in his heart, and he was a transgressor. The Bible tells us in Matthew 24 that the love of many will wax cold because of iniquity. Iniquity. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 28, it says, The destruction of the transgressors and the sinners shall be together, and they that forsake the Lord shall be consumed. Forsaken means to be one who draw back into perdition. Paul also says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7, he says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall reveal from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that, check this out, know not God, those are the ignorant, the unbelievers, the sinners worldwide, and they that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I really would like for those who believe in what's saved, always saved, or just simply just by saved by his grace, but continue in one sin and iniquity, how they would measure with these verses. For the Lord says here in verse nine, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Who are we talking about? those who know not God and those who obey not the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That refers to the sinners and the transgressors who break covenant. And when he shall come back, he shall come back to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 through 10. So again, what is perdition? Perdition is that when you break covenant, but we are not of them that draw back, Paul says in Hebrews 10.39, who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Also, it is mentioned by Peter in 2 Peter 3.7, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store, 
reserved unto fire against their judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So, putting all this together, transgressors, perdition, heretics, apostates, all those who reject the Lord, either walking for a while, like Jesus gave the parable concerning the sower and the seed, what happens after a while when they're not firmly rooted or they're not grounded in love and trials and tribulations and circumstances come their way and they fall back into the ways they were before. The dog has gone back to the vomit and the pig or the sire back to the mire washing themselves in the mud, as we're told in 2 Peter 2, 18-22. So, in this New Testament, we are betrothed unto Christ. We are engaged unto him, unto the wedding. And the revelation of Jesus Christ is what the book of Revelation is all about. So, he is coming back to receive his covenant keepers, those who are without spot, wrinkle, or blemish, and who have prepared themselves, they've been washing the blood of the Lamb, and out of the fear of God, they kept themselves pure. It says in 1 John 3, 3, that when he returns, we shall see him as he is, and we shall be just like him. And he that had this hope, it says in verse 3, purified himself. You see, Jesus told us in John chapter 3, we must be born again in order to enter into this kingdom. But he says, except the man is born again in verse 5, uh, except the man is born again of what? The war and the spirit. He cannot, cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus asks a simple question. He says, um, how can this be done? You know, but Jesus said, you know what? Aren't, aren't you women? Aren't you a master of Israel? Aren't you a Pharisee? Aren't you a great teacher? Don't you know what I'm saying here, lad? Listen to me. Except the man's born again, the warden of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Well, Jesus gave him a reference point to decipher the revelation that thou a massive Israel and know about these things. It is in the law. Yes, it is. The spirit, the water, and the blood is all way through the law as we started talking about this today. The spirit, the water, and the blood. Carnal theologians and those who are rebellious to the apostolic doctrine, they teach that the water is when one's born into the world comes from their mother's womb when the baby is born. If that be the case, every man on the planet Earth is already born the water. So why would Christ even say be born the water if everyone's already done that? Well, being born the water of the Spirit, water to represent repentance, as John the Baptist proclaimed, and then baptism. That's your water. And then receive the Holy Ghost. That's the spirit. All the way through the spirit, the water, the blood. And the servant of the Lord, Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, said this to the Pharisees, namely one named Saul. In Acts chapter 7, verse 38, he called the children of Israel, God's church, or called out ones in the wilderness. We are the called out ones today in the new covenant and we are lawfully betrothed unto Christ as his bride, but we're not called his wife. We call his bride. Please understand that we're his bride. We're not his wife yet. The wife, we become that at the rapture. And that's in Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 and 8. That's in the book of Revelation chapter 10, verse 7 and chapter 11, verse 14 through 15. At the last trump, as Paul says. And the wedding takes place in Revelation chapter 19, verses 9 through 20. The marriage feast. And so natural Israel, 
It has always been the apple of God's eye. This is spoken about in the book of Zechariah, chapter 2, verse 8. But Paul updates Israel also, not just a Jew, but Israel. He says that spiritual Israel, the church, is the Israel of God. Did you know that? Yes, because we are partakers of Abraham's seed according to the promise that is declared in Galatians chapter 3, verses 27, 28, and 29. Abraham's seed, we're inheritors of the promises of the covenant, Jews and Gentiles, males and females, bond or free, all be made to drink of the same spirit, all be baptized by the Holy Ghost, who is Jesus Christ. So Galatians 6.16 says, And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be unto them and mercy upon the Israel of God. That's who we are. We're the Israel of God. But the children of Israel, the natural Israel, historically, the natural Hebrew people were constantly going into sin, degradation, and backsliding. Hosea, the prophet, calls Israel the backslidden wife. And so, just as God, as a typology for the book of Revelation with the seven churches, you will find that in the book of Leviticus chapter 26, God does the exact same thing to natural Israel. Yes, he does. For the six churches that he rebuked in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of the book of Revelation, he did the exact same thing in the book of Leviticus 26. Let's read. Leviticus 26, 14, telling Israel, But if ye will not hearken unto me, will not do all these commandments, and if ye despise my statutes, or if your soul abhor my judgments, so that ye will not do my commandments, but that ye break my covenant, I will also do this unto you. I will even appoint over you terror, consumption, and the burning ague, that shall consume the eye and cause sorrow of heart. And ye shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. And I will set my face against you, and ye shall be slain before your enemies, and they that hate you shall reign over you. And ye shall flee when none pursueth you. And if ye will not yet for all this hearken unto me, I will punish you seven times more for your sins. Verse 19, and I will break the pride of your power and I will make your heaven as iron and your earth as brass and the strength shall be spent in vain and your land shall not yield her increase, neither shall the trees of the land yield their fruits. And if you walk contrary unto me, I will not hearken and not hearken unto me. I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your sins. As you see this the second times, as Lord kind of pleading with Israel to repent and turn from your sins, just as he told the churches in the book of Revelation, he that hath in the ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Here in Leviticus 26, as he told natural Israel a third time, I will send wild beasts among you, which shall rob you of your children and destroy your cattle and make you few in number. And your highways shall be desolate. And if ye will not be reformed by me by these things, but walk contrary unto me, then I also will walk contrary unto you, and I will punish you yet seven times for your sins. 
This is seven times, you know, it's in the book of Revelation, everything, seven trumpet judgments, seven bow judgments, all right, and seven seal judgments. Everything is done in seven. The tribulation period itself lasts for seven years. Leviticus 26, verse 25. This is the fourth time God speaks to them, and I will bring a sword upon you that shall avenge the quarrel of my covenant, and ye shall gather together within your cities, and I will send pestilence among you, and ye shall be delivered into the hands of the enemy. And when I have broken the staff of your bread, ten women shall bake your bread in one oven, and they shall deliver you your bread again by weight, and ye shall eat and not be satisfied. And if ye will not after all this hearken unto me, but walk contrary unto me, then I will walk contrary unto you in, in fury. Even I, even I will chasten you seven times for your sins. This is the fourth time God has said that. And ye shall eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters, ye shall eat. And I will destroy your high places and cut down your images and cast your carcasses upon the carcasses of your idols and your souls shall abhor you and my soul in particular. And I will make your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries into desolation and I will not smell the savior of your sweet odors. And that I will also walk contrary unto them. In verse 41, they have brought them into the lands of their enemies and then if then their uncircumcised heart be humbled, if they repent in essence, as he told the churches in the book of Revelation, and then they then accept the punishment of the iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and also my covenant with Isaac and also my covenant with Abraham will I remember. And I will remember the land. For these were examples how God dealt with natural Israel. And he is the same God of the Old Testament and the New Testament. He is the Alpha and the Omega. And his natural Israel, the spiritual Israel, will get the same punishment except she repents. In the book of Revelation 2 and 3, the seven churches, God give perfect judgment. There's seven, seven candlesticks. And for every church, is a he that hath an ear, let him hear. They must repent and they must overcome. For the church of Ephesus, chapter 2, book of Revelation, now spiritual Israel. Verse 4, Nevertheless, I have sowed against thee, because thou hast left thy first love, which is idolatry. But this thou hast, thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans is the doctrine of the clergy and the laymen. Christ hates the doctrine and that form a schism in the church. Fashion after Rome, which is Roman Catholicism, and fashion also after Levitical priesthood, which was abolished in the New Testament. To the church of Smyrna, he says in chapter 2, verse 9, I know that works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them that say they're Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. And so when most scholars look at this, oh, Jews, synagogue of Satan, it must be talking about natural Israel. My God, how carnal can they be? He's writing to seven churches. He's using Jewish metaphors to speak about those who are in the church who not walk contrary, who are walking contrary to his word and going against his holy commandments. And he called this church the synagogue of Satan because like the Antichrist, Satan will, shall, be, shall be in the tares. The tares are in his house. 
the tares in the church. And Jesus spoke about in the book of Matthew, chapter 13, verse 30. He will separate the tares from the wheat. And these are those who Satan has planted in this church. But those who are anti-Semitic, those who are racist, when they look at this verse here, or they use European ethnocentric values or cultural superiority, believe that God has kicked off the Jews and put them in their stead, this is blindness to them. So they can never understand these verses that I'm speaking about, in particular those who believe in once saved, always saved. To the church of Pergamos, I know that works, chapter 2, verse 13, where thou dwellest even where Satan's seat is. Again, Satan's seat is in the house of God, the spirit of Antichrist. And thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days when Antipas was a faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. The love of many, Jesus said, in his house, in his kingdom church, shall wax cold. Brothers shall betray brother, and they shall slay one another. Verse 14 in Pergamos, he says, But I, I have a few things against thee, because thou have them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit spiritual fornication, again, which is idolatry. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. He mentioned this doctrine, Nicolaitine, twice to the church of Pergamos and to the church of Ephesus. Again, all churches need to repeat of this, repent rather. All churches need to repent of such practices, the doctrine of the Nicolaitine, the clergy versus the layman. In 1 Timothy 4.1, Paul says, in the latter days, some shall uh, depart from the faith. They shall break contract. And they shall give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. 1 Timothy 4.1 But we're also told by the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2.13 But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God had from the beginning chosen you to salvation. How? Through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Can you imagine that? Using that for salvation? Yes, being sanctified by the Spirit and abiding in sound doctrine, the belief of the truth. That's another way the Bible tells you you must be saved. Well, to the church of Thyatira, the doctrines that they held concerning Revelation 2.20, it says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against thee, because thou suffered thy woman Jezebel, with calling herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. This is witchcraft, warlocks, sacrifices of men and women going awry and using witchcraft and manipulation to control God's people. You see, verse 21 says, I gave her space to repent, referring to Thyatira and her Jezebel spirit and her fornication, for she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation. Did you see that? Great tribulation? I guess you can't figure out what it's referring to. Yes. <laughs> the watch cycle, the seven years. 
except they repent of their deeds. The seven years, that's how long the tribulation lasts. And that's what he told Israel. He did the exact same to them naturally. And God had told the church the exact same thing he told natural Israel. He's speaking the same to spiritual Israel. Verse 23, he says, I will kill your children <laughs> with death. The Lord said, and all the church shall know that I am he that searches the reins of the hearts. Wow. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you also, I say, and to the rest in thine tower, as many have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. Church of Thyatira. Church of Sardis, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. This is chapter 3, verse 2. That are ready to die. For I have found, have not found thy works perfect before God, he says. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come up on thee. Thou hast a few names even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. You see, in the Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. He's speaking to the church of Sardis. To the church of Laodicea, he says, Chapter 3, verse 16. So then, because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth, vomit you out. Because thou sayest I am rich and increase with goods, and have need of nothing, and I know not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. See, they don't need the gifts of the Spirit. They don't need the miracles. They don't need God. They love their religion and the smoking religious ganja, tripping. Miracles have ceased. Technology is what God uses now. But the God of Israel was a God of signs and wonders. Supernatural God. He is. God tells him in Revelation 3.18, the church of Laodicea, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in fire, that thou might be rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness be, do not appear. And anoint thy eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man shall open unto me, I shall come and sup with him. You see, the Lord says, Be zealous, therefore, church of Laodicea, and repent. Repent, church. This is the message he gave Israel. This is the message that he gave natural and spiritual. And so God consummates these same messages. Nothing has changed in God's word today. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He's calling men everywhere, as it says in the book of Acts 17, to repent. He winked at the ignorance of men in time past, but no, will, no more will he do that. For the day of the Lord is at hand, and he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Please get right doctrine. Abide in the covenant of the blood, the water, and the spirit. For this is what is way it was from the beginning. And this covenant has not been revoked. He is still head of his church, savior of his body. There's only one Lord, one faith, 
And even though it says one baptism, if you go and look in the book of Hebrews chapter six, Paul speaks of baptisms, plural, plural, because there's water baptism spoken about by John, spirit baptism spoken about by the apostles, water baptism that was found with Noah in the sea and the oceans of the world. And there's water baptism with Moses in the Red Sea. There's water baptism that divided the earth and formed dry land in the middle. Water always divided, but water also brought deliverance. God dealt with deliverance because all wicked people died in the water. With Noah, they died in the water. Also with Moses in the Red Sea. We are supposed to die planted together in the likeness of his death. And we should always be in the likeness of his resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's our death. We are to die. Finally, Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live not I, but Christ that liveth in me. And the faith and the hope that I now live, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So there you have it. You see, in natural Israel, they lost out if they didn't repent. Church today, if we don't repent, we shall also suffer the same fate and calamity as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 and 6. So I pray your strength in the Lord and understand that none of the seven churches refer to a time period, as Western scholars say. They only dealt with the sins of each of the churches in their respective area in Asia Minor, today Turkey. So let's get right, church, and let's go home. Thank you for hearing today. May God grant you understanding of his divine word so you and I can be ready when he comes. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching. We encourage you to subscribe to this podcast and automatically receive our next teaching on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or any other podcast platform. The Foundation Station with Bishop Clarence Harris is made possible by the support of listeners like you. If you'd like to bless this ministry with an offering, please do so via the Cash App by searching Hashtag Foundation Station. That's dollar sign, Foundation Station. Thank you and God bless.